The Tom Woods Show, episode 1199. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Men, if you want to look your best, you need a made-to-measure suit. And this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when entering Woods at checkout. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. I'm sitting across from Dave Smith, one of your favorite guests on this show. He is the host of the Part of the Problem podcast. He's got a tremendous gig on CNN, if you can believe that. (laughs) Amazing what great work he does there. Of course, uh, his Libertas comedy special was number one on iTunes for three solid weeks last year. You should go and get that. Uh, great guy. Uh, what's uh, Before we even get started, give me a website. People should follow you. Well, you can find all my stuff at uh, gasdigitalnetwork.com. Yeah, there you go. That's where you should be, gasdigitalnetwork.com, where you can also find Michael Malice these days. That's right. That's Our latest a, edition. Yes. Which I'm psyched about. So now it's like subscribing to the network is you get all the value you could imagine. Yeah, All duh. Michael Malice content, all my stuff. Yeah, absolutely great. So Dave's with me in the Mises Institute studio. We're here for Mises University, and it's tremendous so far. And it's an easy opportunity for me to just grab somebody, come on up here to the studio and record a podcast episode. So a couple things going on in the news. Uh, First thing, far more important than the Trump uh, and Russia rapprochement is Dave Smith and and I joining the LP. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I mean, certainly that's at least up there. The number one news story. So some people listening to this probably don't even know this because it was really announced only on Twitter. But the long and the short of it is, not that I in any way want to relitigate this whole thing, but there was this conflict I wound up getting into against my will with the current chairman of the Libertarian National Committee. And it happened after I or somebody else posted a talk called What I Learned from Murray Rothbard that I had given. And that talk was mostly like things I learned about how to live, you know, the, the fact that Rothbard had such intellectual curiosity that he could learn from anyone. He could collaborate with anyone. He he would go to some obscure academic conference, come home with a copy of every paper that was delivered and pour through them to see any gems he might find. Just things like that, that kind of inspired me. So I talked about that. And instead of listening to what I said, the chairman of the LNC came back with this nasty tweet saying, that moment when all you learned from Rothbard was the worst political strategy ever. Now, okay, first of all, coming from the LP is kind right. of you know interesting position to be in to say something like that. But of course, nothing I said had anything to do with politics when I was talking about Rothbard. Nothing. It, so this was this had so it was, it was not in any way a critique of anything I had said. He had no idea what I had said. He just took a shot at me and Rothbard for no reason. Why would the chairman of the Libertarian Party be spending his time going after Tom Woods and Murray Rothbard? It's just crazy. And then this just spiraled out of control, became this vicious back and forth battle on Twitter. Well, the point of this is in recent, I guess maybe it was within, must have been within the past month. I don't know, three weeks ago, somebody was at it with this chairman and saying, you know, maybe Tom Woods should do X or Y in the party. And the chairman said, look, I don't have any evidence that Woods is or has ever been a member of the party, and you need to be a member to do any of these things. And so I retweeted that with the comment, thank you for the invitation. I've just taken you up on it. Because I thought, you know what, let's call the bluff of these people mm-hmm. every once in a while. So I did that, and I thought, that alone is worth the 25 smackers. <laughs> but I also, you know, I'm gonna, I want to bring you in in a minute, but I just want to set the stage here. That was kind of the background. And not because I'm not 
the last thing in the world I want is to be fighting with people, honestly. Even even though I sometimes have this belligerent public persona, it's generally because other people start it. And I've just been taught that when people start something, you finish. Right. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I'm not – I don't want to be still fighting. But I am interested in, in the LP, and I do think – and we'll talk a little bit about this, but Dave and I are going to be doing an episode with Mark Clare where we're all going to and, – and Jason Stapleton, we're going to have a roundtable discussion of this. So we're I just, believe Mance Raider is going to be on that one oh, as man, well. Oh, he is too? Oh, great. Okay. So, yeah. So we're all going to talk about this because we've all joined the party in the past few weeks. And we're going to talk about what our motivations were and everything. But it seemed weird to have Dave on and not mention this. So um, rather than having me continue to talk – I'm talking way too much. Let me throw it over to you to get your thoughts on why you did it. Well, I, can I just say about the the whole little – you know, thing that went on last year um, between you and this gentleman at, at the LP. And I jumped into that as well. It, it's it's quite amazing because it's like, look, if you want to criticize Murray Rothbard's political strategy or any of our political strategy for that matter, like, okay, fine. Yes, we live in this gigantic state and we're all opposed to it. So I will be the first to acknowledge we're not winning against yeah, this thing, right? right? Sure. I, I'll take that from the Republicans or the Democrats, but for the LP who's been around for decades, and it's like, well, what have you done? What, why, why don't you compare what you've done to the track record of Murray Rothbard and Tom Woods and all these other people? Really, all the LP would be good for is spreading the ideas of libertarianism anyway. It's not like, oh, we're the LP and we've been winning offices and uh, reducing spending and eliminating programs. You're not doing any of that. We're just in the business of spreading the message, and we're doing it far better than you are. So that was just insane to me. And I had to jump in and get involved in that too. But in terms of, of joining the LP, it's, it's, um, to me. And of course, like you said, we'll get more into this and in, when we do the, a full episode on it, but I just really, for, for a while now, I've, I've really missed the days of the Ron Paul movement and actually having somebody out there in the political arena, making the arguments that we all believe in. And I really liked what Michael Heiss and all those guys from the, the Mises caucus were doing. And when they organized that human action event and they had people like you and Scott Horton. And, and if there is any little movement that's representing what I see as like the true libertarians and the people who I want other people to see, primarily being like people like you and Scott Horton. And then when you uh, were like, okay, I'm going to join the party, I was like, all right, well, then I'm in. I mean, if this is what we're doing, then this is what we're doing. Let's let's do something. Right, right, right. L let me backtrack for just a minute just to add for anybody who wasn't aware when that whole argument was going on between me and that fellow, it wasn't just that we were having a dispute about Rothbard's strategy. I mean, what you know, yeah. whatever. It was the insinuation that I more or less wink at, of all things, fascism. Right. Because I wouldn't sign some stupid, self-important, pompous thing that they had. And it was just so – of all possible things to say about me, it was just ridiculous to say. And that was the thing. It was the, the nastiness that you would – that you would sink to the level. I mean, I expect that the left accuses everybody of fascism, right. but for the head of the LP, that's just wrong. That is, that is profound. No, absolutely. Wrong. And, and it's a weird thing where they play into this game. They, they play the left game. Like, it's like, they want to be like, Oh, well, if you believe, you know, if you're like a Mises guy, then you're a, a racist or something. You're a fascist. And it's like, meanwhile, the left's just going to look at you and say, well, because you oppose Obamacare, you want kids to die or something like that. So it's not like you're winning any points off right. this. And it is, there, there is something that this always really infuriates me, but they set up this, this 
dynamic where like if you're a Rothbardian, if you're if you support the Mises Institute, then you've got to apologize for any little thing that might have ever been said that was offensive or wrong right. or something like this. Right. Whereas say like, you know, if, if I just said I was like a Friedmanite or something like that, I don't have to apologize for like him supporting the withholding tax or supporting the war in Iraq or these yeah. disastrous policies. Right, right, right. You would be accused if you said those things of of applying a purity test. Right, right. But that works only one way. Exactly right. So with the LP, as I say, we'll, we'll get back to this. I mean, obviously, if you listen to the show, I'm not saying you have to go join the LP or anything like that. You'd make your own decision. But look, it is – I have not been able to get out of people a good answer to the question, if libertarians are not represented in the political discussion, how do we get the word out? Yes, I know we have podcasts and whatever, but look at the example of Ron Paul. He has a podcast, but it's listened to by – Maybe, if he's lucky, 1% of the people who used to listen to him. That's right. So I don't get how the idea that if we just stand on the sideline, like somehow people will flock to us. They won't even know we're there. No, they have to see – they had to see – like, and what did Ron Paul do? Because by the way, also, even in in politics, Ron Paul was Ron Paul for a long time before he became – 2008 Ron Paul and what you almost had to see was him stand next to Rudy Giuliani next to this guy who at the time people forget was the, was polling number one in the race and just dismantle him and then you you almost have to see it up against what mainstream politics is and see that we offer something that's better than what they have right so it's and I, I have no sympathy whatsoever for the so-called pragmatist caucus of the libertarian party which really sucks all the life out of the mm-hmm. Libertarian Party. I mean, sucks all the life out of the very idea of it. I'm much more am sympathetic to Tim Moen of the Libertarian Party of Canada, who just comes right out and says, our role is to stand there and tell the truth, regardless of what happens. I, the outcome, you know, obviously, it's better to win than not to win, but it's even better to tell people that we exist and that this way of thinking exists. Otherwise, you are going to wind up Republican light. You know, you're gonna, yeah. and that inspires nobody. No one's going to, it's just, ugh. and it accomplishes nothing because no one remembers it. People remember Harry Brown. Michael Bolden, who started the 10th Amendment Center, was converted from hard leftism by Harry Brown. Right. So in other words, Harry Brown indirectly created the 10th Amendment Center. Whereas who years later will say, I created some foundation because I was inspired by Bob Barr. Yeah, that's you know, not so happening. You don't realize how far reaching the consequences of a hardcore principled guy can be. All right, let's move on, though, given that we are going to be doing an episode on that with our friends to a topic that you did a video about just a matter of days ago. And that is this whole matter of uh, of Russia and Trump and treason and all this crazy stuff. And I want to start by reading. I have a somewhat lengthy passage from an article by David Stockman, who is a you know, an occasional guest on this show. And Stockman was the Office of Management and Budget Director under Ronald Reagan. And he has gotten, I mean, he was pretty good in those days, but he's like really, really darn good now. Uh, He's darn good. So here's what he wrote. And I'm going to preface this by saying, I know there will be some people listening who are going to disagree with me on this profoundly to the point where they may never listen to me again. But, you know, okay, it's been fun. But, <laughs> I got, you know, I got to be me. I actually think this moment in Helsinki, 
I'm, it shows how out of step I am with the establishment. I think this may be the best thing I've ever seen a president do in my entire lifetime. Yeah. The most courageous thing I've ever seen him do. And everyone's calling it treason. I think, <laughs> okay, I guess I must be a weirdo. <laughs> All right. Uh, or we live among a bunch of sociopaths. I am inclining toward the second. All right. So here's, here's uh, Stockman. He says, the Vlad and Donald show in Helsinki yesterday was simply brilliant and breathtaking. We'd say even a beautiful thing to behold. Between them, they left CNN's nattering nabobs of neocon nonsense sounding like the shrieking monkeys they actually are. By the way, I've started using shrieking monkeys. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> And that's to say nothing of the fools they made out of the newly minted liberal and progressive warmongers on the Dem side of the aisle in Washington, or the so-called journalists who fill 90% of the space in the so-called mainstream media with endless pro-war propaganda. But most of all, it was the single greatest blow to the war party since it turned imperial Washington into a colossal menace bent on global hegemony when the Soviet Union slithered off the pages of history in 1991. We have said all along that Putin and Russia have been demonized because the warfare state desperately needs an enemy to justify its $800 billion annual mugging of America's taxpayers. Yet today's spontaneous chorus by the two leaders in behalf of detente, dialogue, and diplomacy puts the kibosh on that big lie more completely than could a hundred TED Talks or a year's worth of pro-peace op-eds in the Washington Post. So flyover America will have no trouble seeing the good of the Helsinki summit. Trump and Putin just killed it on every topic where the war party and its shills in the press wanted to drive a wedge. That is to say, cooperation on Syria, arms control, terrorism, North Korea, Ukraine, friendly competition on supplying natural gas to Europe, an invitation to Mueller to send his legal sleuths to Russia to participate in the interrogation of the 12 GRU ham sandwiches named in the indictment. And best of all, a reciprocal notion that Russian prosecutors come here to question deep state operatives about how they helped one of the greatest scoundrels of modern times, Bill Browder, abscond from Russia with almost $1.5 billion skimmed from its people and on which he and his posse paid zero taxes both there and here. Indeed, the debunking of the false mainstream narrative about Russia's nefarious intentions and doings was so complete that the deep state apparatchiks were reduced to sputtering hysterically. For instance, here is the bile issued by the central architect of the Russian collusion lie, former CIA director John Brennan, who says, Donald Trump's press conference performance in Helsinki rises to and exceeds the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors. It was nothing short of treasonous. Not only were Trump's comments imbecilic, he is wholly in the pocket of Putin. Republican patriots, where are you? Then again, when you actually read the transcript of the joint press conference, you will find the very words, phrases, and tonalities that harken back to the courageous efforts of liberal Democrats like Senators George McGovern and Frank Church and even President Jimmy Carter to promote diplomacy and detente during the height of the Cold War confrontation when each side had 9,000 nuclear warheads on hair-trigger alert. And exactly what was John Brennan doing circa 1976? Why, he voted for the communist candidate for president, Gus Hall, because he thought Jimmy Carter was too much of a cold warrior. In other words, the guy is a demented partisan hack who arose to power during a 25-year career in the CIA that began in 1980, and during which he sold his soul to the warfare state in pursuit of position, power, and pelf. Whew. Now, if we lived in a free country, everyone would be talking like that. Yeah. All right, what did you say in your video? Well, 
I got David Stockman, such a boss. <laughs> I just love is. it. And by, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen those videos of him on Fox business, where he just goes and destroys Maria Bergeramo and like all those people, it's oh, un- he's just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, what I was saying in the video and but can I just say on the, on the Brennan stuff, man, it's not even, I, I think it's a fair point to make that he was a commie back in the seventies. I mean, like, yeah, that's, that's absolutely a fair point. It's, it's amazing. Like, right. Like, and I mean, this is, um, like stuff we've talked about in the past, but you know, let's say, uh, not you, but say someone you knew, like sat in on a meeting of say a Southern secessionist, uh, group or something like that, that you can never move past. But if you were like a full fledged communist, that's just like, <laughs> right, Oh, yeah. whatever. Uh, well, yeah, you whatever. Know, oh, now you can come into the fold. No problem. Um, at Rothbard wrote, wrote about that too. And also by the way, it, it it doesn't even really matter if you're like a Democrat, you could be a former Klansman too. And then you can come, you know, be Hillary Clinton's best friend. No one cares. But anyway, um, but forget even the, him being a commie in the seventies. I mean, you want to talk about treason, about arming ISIS, how about siding with the radical Sunnis who actually attacked America? I mean, just from your traditional, I'm an American Forget anarcho-libertarian, any of that stuff. Just like the group that attacked America, you are now siding with. And it's, we're living in a cartoon. Um, But the thing about Trump that I find really interesting uh, and the best quality to me of the Trump moment is that Trump is able to aggravate everybody so much that they end up exposing themselves. It's not like Trump really exposes anything else. It's not like Trump's doing what Ron Paul did, where Ron Paul would be like, he exposed other people. Ron Paul said, hey, there's this Federal Reserve. This is the way the system's really working. There's this military-industrial complex. This is the way it's working. Trump is just Trump, and this pisses everybody else off so much that they end up exposing themselves. You know, like, and, and the media, which is coming out, it's not just that you realize that this media that would not give him a fraction of of the scrutiny if he were to, say, bomb another country, as they will if he goes and talks to another country, a nuclear-armed country at that. But the real, if you listen to the mainstream media, the real offense here is that Trump criticized the deep state. He had the nerve. It's treason that he did not take uh, as a given that what the CIA says is the truth. Now, who who knows anything about the history of the CIA would think that you should just take what they say as a given. Like they would never lie to the American people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't even think about it. It happens all the time to the point where it doesn't even occur to them that it's a problem. Right. It's, it's really unbelievable. And I, I don't, I don't know how anybody, and this is what I said in the video. I just don't understand how anybody who isn't a bloodthirsty war hawk would not be happy that this happened. And, and it's the most controversial thing Donald Trump's done, or not even controversial. It's just the most outright, uh, you know, despised. He, it's yeah. treason, according to these people. It's the country, as Trump said, the two countries represent 90% of the nuclear weapons in the world. You're telling me they shouldn't be talking? And if they're getting along, that's a bad thing? Yeah, and especially Caitlin Johnstone made this point that even just the possibility of an accident occurring because some of the equipment is, is aging, the possibility of that is not zero. Right. And not to mention, and here's a here's a point that gets completely lost because it does not fit in the narrative at all. John Stone, who's a who's a leftist who does not like Trump at all, but she says, look, cooperating to try to make sure that the two major nuclear powers are not going to go to war with each other or have a nuclear accident occur 
is the most important issue for mankind. And if you are in any way creating some kind of obstacle in the way of that or making that less likely, then your hatred of Donald Trump, which she herself shares, has made you so demented that you've lost some of what makes you human, yeah. is what she said. But but her point is, actually, instead of this whole narrative of Trump is in Putin's pocket, you know, he's he's like on his leash or whatever. Ho, 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 ho. Oh, yeah? Have you actually looked at Trump's Russia policy? It's bellicose. Right. I mean, whether it's um, facilitating the, the arming of Ukraine or his policy in Syria or the nuclear posture review that took on a more anti-Russian tone or sanctions or expelling diplomats or whatever. The He's, Iran deal even. I mean, all of it. Yeah. None of this is, is what you would get out exactly. of a, a Putin puppet. Exactly. So what actually has happened is that because Trump has not has actually been bellicose. That's why we all the more need this meeting right. to ramp it down. It's not that Trump hasn't done enough against Russia. What's the, I, I mean, there are foreign policy experts who know better than that. The average American has no idea about this. Right. So on Facebook, I've been going up with people who, I've been going against people who've been saying this about Trump. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Putin's, I said, oh yeah. Um, let me list a bunch of policies and you tell me how any one of these represents that. And of course they all go running away because they never heard of any of this. Mm-hmm. And they well, that's right, and the, and and partially because it goes completely unreported in the mainstream media. But something is going on big with like uh, the Russia, the Russian U.S. relationship moving toward confrontation. And it's like if you look at Hillary Clinton and Marco Rubio, who are basically the same person, uh, who were the Republicans' kind of pick after Jeb Bush imploded, and the Democrats' pick. Uh, to be president, they were both running on a no-fly zone where Russian planes are flying in Syria. They were both saying, we're going to shoot down Russian planes. And you had people, high-level people in the military who were like, they're talking about going to war with Russia. And this is something that, you know, what's going on, I think, since the Soviet Union collapsed and George H.W. Bush, we had the, the... you know, the CIA man in the Oval Office. And instead of doing like what Bill Buckley and all these guys promised us this whole Cold War was about, like, well, we're really free market people, but we just need this giant bureaucracy to keep the Soviet Union at bay. Well, when the Soviet Union collapsed, we went right ahead with the war machine. And this is what drove out a lot of people. I mean, I know this is what turned like yourself off. This is what Pat Buchanan and Russell Kirk and all these people were very upset about that. And we went in and and a lot of them would even talk about how the the people like in the the neocons back then would be like, well, Russia didn't do anything. We went right into Iraq and Russia. It looks like there, you know, we can now kind of exert our influence over the Middle East, and we've been doing that quite a bit for for decades since then. And it looks like in Syria, this was the moment where Russia was like, no, we're going to fight back on this one. So you're it's in a very strange position now where and and I'm sure that they had some sense of the the politics of it all. They were like, well, America's getting more and more into debt. The people are in America are not supporting these wars anymore. And also they see the nature of them losing every ally that they have in the Middle East. Well, we just prop up all the governments we want. So now you've got Russia in Syria. We're in Syria. This is a very dangerous situation at, on the list of stuff that you were talking about with Trump. There were like a, a couple hundred Russian mercenaries who were killed in Syria. I mean, this is like a very, very dangerous situation where we're very close to war. Two nuclear armed powers yeah. close to war. This is this is insanity. So if they get together and talk, and it's like, well, Trump didn't, he didn't call him out for this, this, and this human rights abuse. Like, okay, did Putin call Trump out for our human rights abuses? 
I mean, I'm not saying we're exactly equal, but like, why do only we get to call other countries out for their human rights abuses? You know, yeah. is a, a Donald Trump, do they get to sit there and say, uh, you know, you guys really have built up the biggest spying apparatus in the history of humanity. That's 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 a little messed up. You guys have the biggest prison population in the world. That's a little messed up. Like, I, I don't know. Why don't we let them handle their business and we'll handle ours yeah. and let's not go to war. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Dave, let me take a minute to thank the good folks at Indochino. We're here at the Mises Institute. A lot of people are very nicely dressed. And I'll tell you, the key thing to having a nice-looking suit is the fit. You can spend four figures on a suit, and it still looks terrible because you, you look like you're heading to court, and this is the one suit you own, and it's baggy, and you look ridiculous. That's not what you want. What you need is the made-to-measure suit because it's made for you, and it fits you perfectly. That's what you want, and that's what you can get with Indochino. And I have found the ordering process and everything to be super easy. You visit a showroom or you shop online at Indochino.com. You pick your fabric, choose your customizations, you submit your measurements. And they even, I think they have a little video where they show you how to do the measurements. So you get it exactly right. And then in just a few weeks, you get your custom suit. They also do shirts, and you feel like a million bucks because it's made just for you. The only stumbling block is the price. You always are afraid, would this cost me too much? Well, this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when entering Woods at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. So that's Indochino.com, promo code Woods, for any premium suit for just $359 and free shipping. That's an incredible deal for a suit that's going to fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. And, you know, I forgot to mention um, the issue of Montenegro going into NATO. Now, my understanding was that Trump initially favored that. And now I saw him interviewed by Tucker Carlson, and he seems to be backing away because he's saying, what kind of ridiculous idea is it that we would go to war and that we would basically be saying to the people in Montenegro that go ahead and be as unreasonable as you want because we've got your back. That that makes no sense. And he and he said something like, look, I've only been around for about 18 months. So it was kind of his way of saying, if I took a different position on Montenegro, it's a rookie mistake. Right. So that was a good that was something because and that actually leads into Rand Paul, who's been great on this thing, but he's also been great specifically talking about NATO. He was saying that he was on Tucker Carlson the other day. And Carlson, another hero. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Amazing. Uh, he was not always this good, Carlson. He's gotten, he's absolutely amazing. And he had Rand on, and Rand was saying that he's talking about the absurdity of extending NATO. He says, there are people we have in the foreign policy establishment who want uh, former Soviet satellites to be in NATO and who even are willing to say any country in the world that qualifies. So they use the language, any aspirant can be a member of NATO. And Rand said, now I introduced an amendment that would have taken out the words any aspirant. And it my amendment was voted down 20 to one. The entire foreign uh, relations committee, I guess the foreign relations committee, mm -hmm. voted it down 20 to one. And he said that, you know, that we have to, this is crazy. And Tucker said, yeah, that's totally insane. He used the word insane. Now, I don't think Fox News would have said insane five, 10 years ago, but now we have a guy on there who is much, much better and more reliable than anybody on Fox who will look at a policy like that and not treat it like, well, you know, let's, why don't we debate this? He'll just say, that's crazy. 
Yeah. That is absolutely. So in other words, the United States is going to be committed to the defense of 50 or 60 places in the world, 50 or 60, that they would have to go to war to defend if if anything came up and World War III would break out and everybody thinks that's normal. Every shrieking monkey thinks that's normal. It's it's unbelievable. And yeah, it's I, I, Tucker Carlson's a really interesting case because, you know, he was like a big supporter of the war in Iraq initially and changed his mind on that. And I, I look at him a lot like I think he's one of these like the Pat Buchanan types who actually believed the like establishment conservative lies and then is really pissed off at them because he believed this stuff. And now it's like, you, it's like, uh, now he's scorned. Now it's like, okay, I'm gonna, he's gonna embarrass Max Boot and all these people because they convinced him that he should like march along with some of these policies. And he, and, and eventually he's, I think Tucker really is a nationalist, really does love America and really does care about the, you know, his country and his people. And he sees that this is just destroying us. And th- this is just, this is insane. Right. And it's, it's great. Now at this point, he's, I think he's the best like big name in, in cable news. And he could be doing this just to carve out a niche for himself, but I doubt it because he is risking a lot. Yeah. He is rolling the dice here. I think it is because he really feels this way. And he, you know, I remember this interesting thing about Tucker Carlson. So he was at the, um, the, Ron Paul, um, the the counter convention, the rally for the, the republic. For the he republic. introduced me when That's I came right. up to speak. He, yeah. he was there, and he he talked about this, and he talked about how I think something like Jesse Ventura said something about nine eleven being an inside job, and this really turned him off of the liberty movement. And he was mm-hmm. like, you know, this is just too far for me. This is too crazy. And then cut to like a year ago or so, he's on Alex Jones' show. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm <laughs> well, like, wait a minute. so what's going on here? So yeah. I think what Tucker Carlson realized, and this I'm just kind of speculating, but I think at a certain point he realized, well, all right, maybe there is this, this kind of wing that of, you know, the conspiracy guys who I think are a little bit nutty. But I think he realized what's even crazier than that is Max Boot is John McCain, are these guys who just want to fight wars left and right. They literally, they want every single war. If you talk to John McCain or Lindsey Graham, you have to say, what country do you not want us to bomb? Yeah. Like, it's it's insane. And I think he realized at this point that he's like, well, if I'm going to, I'd rather go talk to Alex Jones than than these people. I remember uh, recently reading, I guess in, I guess it's McCain's memoir or something like that that he does come clean in regard to the Iraq war, that he says that was a mistake and I bear a good portion of the blame for that. But to me, what's more valuable than 15 years after the fact saying what everybody obviously knows would be, tell me during those 15 years, which possible war that you might've supported, um, maybe, you know, it could be wars that never happened, but that you wanted to see, which one did you stop and say, now, wait a minute, I've been had before in these right. wars and I've, I've really made mistakes. I better just not favor this. Of course, there would be no example of that. So I don't care about these people who years later tell me how sorry they are when I see no change in their behavior. Well, that's right. And that's why I know you've made this point before too, but the the example is like Walter Jones or someone like that where you go, okay, I 
wonderful. Welcome to our side. Like, this is a guy who you you can tell. This is a, like, devout Christian who has trouble sleeping at night. Yeah, he's because he supported this war. possible like, thing yes. he can to make up for that. And, that's, and if there's somebody like that, I have no problem, like, yeah. forgiving them and saying thank you for, for joining us. Because I feel like, you know, on a much smaller scale, that's kind of like me. I mean, I'm not a congressman, so I can't do the things he's doing. But I've done everything I can to spread you know, to get people thinking differently about foreign policy. And I did that book with Murray Polner. I mean, I did what a layman can do um, because I am. And, and, you know, look, I think a lot of people go through that phase when they're growing up. Sure. They just, why wouldn't you trust the TV when you yeah. turn it on? And everybody's cheering and tying yellow ribbons on trees. That was a big thing in the first Gulf War. There were yellow, you're too young to remember this, but all over town, you'd drive around, there were yellow ribbons on trees for the support, the troops in the middle East. And, uh, Jeez, that's that's some rough stuff. But let me ask you on a happy note. Sure. Your podcast, Part of the Problem, is doing really well. Yes. And yes. I have a lot of folks who listen to me who say, you know, I'm interested in libertarianism. I'm interested in a lot of things you do. But I'm also interested in a, the more meta question of podcasting in general. What do you attribute your success to other than it's a quality show? I mean, in the long run, you can't you can try all kinds of gimmicks to get listeners. But if the content's no good, it's not going to last. But what do you attribute it to other than just the obvious, it's a good show? I mean, what, there are a lot of good shows out there who probably have 10 listeners. But I think that's that it may not be so obvious to everyone. I think people get way too concerned early on with how do I grow this or how do I make money off this? And it's like, make sure whatever you're doing is something you're really passionate about, you really enjoy. And that is that is the most important first step. And um, for me, a big part of it was um, just sticking with it. Because I did the show for years before it really had a big audience. I mean, I did it. I did a show regularly once a week for the first three years of it. I didn't have a very big audience. There were like a couple thousand people who, who were listening to it. And you just it. stuck with I it. I just kept doing it, kept doing it. And as my, my comedy career grew and I got more opportunities that way, and I'd come on, you know, shows like your show. Um, I got on Joe Rogan's show, got on, you know, like all these different shows. And then my audience kind of built up from that. Um, but I would, I really do say you make the, you make it the highest quality you possibly can, and then you stick with it and just do everything you can to kind of spread the word. And the truth is I, what I've found in my experience is doing other podcasts are the best way to grow my own. That's at least from, from me. And what it is, is that you're, you're speaking directly to people who listen to podcasts. Right. So that's the best kind of yeah. way to, to get, you know, the, and, and from what I talk to people, most people, I don't know about most, but a large portion of people who, who listen to podcasts uh, have either a period in their life where like, this is what I like to do to unwind, or some of them can listen at work. Some of them have jobs where it's like, well, I can't sit down and watch something, but I can put a headphone in and listen. And usually in that case, they're looking for more. They're looking for more content. And so there, there's never a, a person who's kind of like, it's not like if you were like, oh, I'm going to put out two more episodes of the Tom Woods show. Anyone would be like, no, we got our five. We're good. Like they just want as much as humanly possible. From right, you. right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I get asked about this a lot. Hey, I'm a libertarian. I want to start a podcast. And my my first instinct is always to ask them, well, what's your angle going to be? Yeah. Because there are a lot of libertarian podcasts now. But- I've seen some where they have – I personally think one one good way to find a niche, whether it's as a blogger or a podcast or whatever, is to combine two niches. So libertarianism plus – and it could be – like there's a couple of guys who do movie reviews from a libertarian – so libertarianism and movie. So moviegoers and movie lovers who also are libertarian, there's a nice niche. There's no one else yeah. doing that. 
That's your unique thing. You know, Liberty plus X. Like I just um, – there's a guy with a website, uh, uh, The Culinary Libertarian. So libertarianism and food. Yeah, that's you know? great. And of course – there's some content there that's purely culinary, but then there's stuff that could be both because there are obviously libertarian dimensions to food. And then Eric Peters, who does automobiles at ericpetersautos.com. So he's got some just reviews of cars, just plain old cars. But then he's got plenty of libertarian stuff about cars. So that's a, an, another way to think about how to position yourself. If you feel like I'm not sure I have a big enough name to stand out in a crowded podcast world. Well, then make your weirdo niche be the thing that makes you stand out. Right. And that's what, that's your niche and, and product differentiation and like figuring out, because if you're just kind of doing the same thing without a name, that's yeah. going to be a tougher competition. My non-aggression principle podcast. That's not, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's kind of saturated. All right. Um, I think we're just about done. I mean, we could just keep talking forever, but sure. and but we should get back to the Mises University yes, program. This is my first time here, here. And it's such such an unbelievable event, man. I, I know all you guys, like I've I've benefited so much from the Mises Institute and I always hear everybody like you and Judge Napolitano and all these people say Mises University is just like the best week out there. And it really is. It's great to be here. I'm yeah, loving it. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And you weren't here on the first night. So I'll just say that I opened up by saying it is my favorite week of the year on land. <laughs> because of course, you know, what's an even better week in some ways is the Contra Cruise at ContraCruise.com. But, but that's only because I'll back that up. Also, that's Contra only because Cruise is unbelievable. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. There's something weird about the Contra Cruise, but what makes it amazing. <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah. I, I mean, look, we're lucky that we get to do stuff like this. I mean, come we on. sure are. there. Are, you can drive between here and the hotel. You can drive by people who have to put roofs on, on houses in 110 degree heat. And you and I get to sit around listening to geniuses talk all day. It's our libertarian privilege. Tom. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. So remember, gasdigitalnetwork.com is where to find Dave. And you can, you should, well, why don't we follow you on Twitter? At, oh, yeah. At, at Comic, Comic Dave, Dave Smith. Smith. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Tom. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for today. But I do want to ask you if you have not done so or if you skipped over episode 1197, which is the opening talk I gave at Mises University this year. I would really be grateful if you would listen to it. I'm really pleased with it. It was very important that those things be said. And I think you'll see what I'm driving at. But I'm really pleased with how that came out. Sometimes you got to just say those things. So please do check out episode 1197. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you can easily do that over at tomspodcast.com. I just bought that domain. Tomspodcast.com is where you'll see on one page a list of all the episodes Every single one. So on iTunes, it's just a quirk of iTunes. They will store only the most recent 301 episodes. And there are ways you can, I could create a second podcast that just has the next 300 and another. It just seems like a lot of work for very little return. And it's just very complicated. So if you ever want to listen to the earlier episodes, which are great, by the way, I mean, there's just tremendous material that we've covered in this show. Just go right to tomspodcast.com and you can click on any one of those topics and, and you'll be able to listen to the episode right there. So tomspodcast.com is where you can find every single episode listed on one website page and you'll find the subscription links uh, there conveniently as well. All right. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll see you next time.